Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find links to buy the music you hear on the show and a donate button if you'd like to give some support to the show in a financial sense. About a year ago, I recorded uh, a series of interviews with uh, various folks, uh, Gary Fukushima of the L.A. Jazz Collective and folks from the Redwood Jazz Alliance and uh, folks from Smalls and Jazz Standard. And then I promptly, thank you very much, I promptly uh, put them all in a folder, which then disappeared into the depths of my computer, only to resurface uh, not too many weeks ago. And so these interviews, which I forgot even existed and uh, am, am terribly embarrassed not to have played for a year, I am now bringing to you. Uh, this week, it's uh, Gary Fukushima uh, on the Monday episode. And if you're listening to this in real time, then the Thursday episode will be uh, the Redwood Jazz Alliance. Gary Fukushima was representing the L.A. Jazz Collective, and uh, they put out a sampler CD of music by members of the collective, including Gary himself, and this is his own track called Descending Upwards. My guest is Gary Fukushima. The pianist is one of the members of the Los Angeles Jazz Collective. They've got a sampler out, and you'll get a chance to hear during this show the music from a lot of the L.A. Jazz Collective artists. Uh, Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Gary to the show, and Gary, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's a pleasure. Can we uh, start right off, I guess, with the obvious first question, which is, uh, what is the collective, and, and why did you guys feel the need to start it? It pretty much is uh, what, what our name indicates. You know, the Jazz Collective, the Los Angeles Jazz Collective is a collective. 
of jazz musicians. Um, we're entirely, uh, we have no staff. You know, we, we kind of started this organization and we try to run it ourselves. Um, we kind of felt that there was a need to, I guess, be an advocate for original creative jazz music in Los Angeles because it's, um, there's a lot of amazing players, as you might know, but there really doesn't seem to be a very solid uh, uh, community that's committed to doing original music. So um, this is sort of a, a grand experiment, if you will. Now I have to say I, f- I found that surprising, uh, you know, when I was kind of researching um, the LAJC and trying to figure out uh, how you guys got started. I was really surprised to learn that despite the ridiculous wealth of talent that I always have imagined L.A. has, uh, that there really weren't uh, that many places kind of committed to showcasing creative, improvised music. Has that been a, a long-standing problem? Is it a more recent development? Well, you know, I've only been in L.A. myself for about five years now, so I, I'm not that familiar with the history. Um, but from what I know, uh, it, it definitely was better at one point. There was... Um, a number of clubs, you know, the, maybe the most famous of which was the Lighthouse uh, down in Hermosa Beach, where there's there's a lot of really amazing um, recordings that have been done at that show at, at that uh, that venue. Um, but currently, it seems like, you know, in terms of the places that you'd be able to go and actually play your own stuff and have an audience, you know, I, it seems like I could probably count the number of places on one hand, you know, given the size of the city. You know, it's really astounding and and kind of a shame. I was talking to... uh an artist from New Orleans recently who said the kind of the blessing and the curse of New Orleans is that you can make a living playing your instrument there. But that also often means that you have to kind of skip the creative gig because this other gig is going to pay your phone bill. Is that the same kind of thing that happens in LA where there's a ton of work for musicians in the studios or other kinds of places, but actually finding a space to play creative music is more difficult. You you hit the nail right on the head. Um, That's exactly right. Uh, you know, we're all actually living fairly comfortably. Um, in fact, there's a number of, you could call them refugees from New York that have moved here because they, <laughs> they just uh, needed to earn a living. So you know, they're out here. Um, some of them are in our collective. And, and you get that a lot. There, I think there's a pervading philosophy of, of just working and, um, and earning a living. Um, I've heard older musicians, you know, talk about guys that are doing really creative stuff, and then they'll kind of follow up with a comment like, you know, but he's not going to make any money doing that. And um, you can kind of see how I think there, there has been um, a way of, of living, I think, that has maybe co-opted sort of a creative spirit, you know, and, and um, there's a lot of amazing players, just studio musicians, guys that have lived here for, for a long time, you know, played in the Tonight Show band and then the whole um, uh, TV show and recording. And, and, um, and that's still, I think, Uh, there's still a lot of that going on but a sad byproduct of that is that um, you know it sort of became more of an industry way of thinking about playing jazz and and not so much of an artistic way and so um, you know if you're trying to do things that are that are more creative or or, or modern more indicative of what you might hear in New York 
you know, you really don't get any any support either from the clubs or, uh, you know, even from, from other musicians. You know, it's hard to get guys to rehearse sometimes because, you know, they, they're thinking, well, I only have so much time in a day and I need to, you know, take care of this writing thing that I'm doing or some studio thing or, or you know, I just want time to do other things or I'm stuck in traffic. You know, there, there's a lot of reasons why guys can't get together uh, just to, to play music. So hopefully we're taking steps to, to fixing that. When did the first conversations about the formation of the collective take place? Um, I think it was it was 2007, uh, maybe in uh, the fall of 2007. Um, I was um, talking to this saxophone player named Matt Otto, and um, he approached me with this idea of trying to start a collective something that he had been thinking about for a while, and um, I had met Matt in uh, over at grad school at CalArts, California Institute of the Arts, and uh, I had uh, started to program music at um, a club in Little Tokyo, you know, in, um, like a Monday night series, uh, just, just for the door, you know, but um, people started to sign up for that because that was one of the few places where you, you had a forum where you could kind of showcase the stuff that you were writing. So um, I think around that time, you know, we started talking about trying to put this together and it gradually started to evolve. Now, there are some models for this. Uh, uh, there's things like the Jazz Composers Collective, which is an East Coast thing, uh, guys like Ben Allison and those folks. Uh, there's the Brooklyn Jazz Underground, which I think actually has a direct relationship with the LA Jazz Collective, is that right? The, the yeah, absolutely. I, I guess if there was one, you know, uh, model that we um, kind of started from, it would be the, the Brooklyn Jazz Underground. In fact, um, uh, two of the members, uh, well, it's Alan Ferber, I guess, is uh, the main connection, and his brother Mark. Um, it, they both come back. They're both from LA, so they they come back and forth, and they're they're good friends with um, a lot of the original members of the Los Angeles Jazz Collective. And I think Matt, knowing Alan real well, you know, called him and talked to him a lot about their organization and, and how they ran it and the things that had come out of it. 
and that was sort of the impetus to actually uh, get this thing going over here in L.A. Let's talk more about that. We keep using this term collective, but that really doesn't mean anything in the in the real sense. I mean, when you guys all sat down at the coffee shop or wherever it was you decided to, to hatch this thing, what was it you decided you actually needed? What actual concrete things did it seem like were lacking, and that's what you thought the collective, what gaps the collective could fill? Well, one of the, the things that we all lack is resources. You know, it, um, if you want to put out a CD and uh, promote your CD uh, or even promoting your own shows um, you know you can invest quite a bit of money <laughs> in, in doing that as an indep- independent individual artist and um, I think one of the simplest uh, goals that we had at first was you know we'll just get a bunch of guys together and pool our resources and um, in doing so you know we'll, we'll actually be able to kind of split the cost of, of some of these uh, promotional things that, that we were trying to do. And, um, you know, that's, that's definitely worked out pretty well. Um, but then once we got together and started talking, you know, there, there were some other uh, larger themes that started to pop up, you know, and, and um, at least among which was, was just the uh, frustration with the lack of being able to even play your music anywhere. And, um, you know, that that's sort of become, at least uh, from my viewpoint, you know, one of the... Uh, one of the things that, that we're trying to do with the collective is just provide a forum and a, a showcase, you know, for, for some of the independent individual artistic music that's being being written. And so does that mean you guys pull your resources and you find uh, clubs or concert halls or whatever to, to do these performances in? Yeah, the um, I guess the first event we did was back in April of 2008, and... Um, we uh, there was a club in Pasadena uh, related to this organization called the Pasadena Jazz Institute, and um, uh, it's a very nice club actually. And uh, we uh, we we basically took a rock and roll format, you know, and, and approached the the owner about it. And said, you know, we have um, we have two nights 
actually, I guess that one was only one night. Um, but we, we have a night where we can put four groups, you know, um, all on the, the same bill on one night, which is, is very rock and roll. And, um, and we'll, we'll just play for the door and, uh, we'll see what happens. And, you know, the owner, there was low, very low risk for him. So he, he decided to do that. Um, and then we were able to even invest just a little bit in, in local print ads and, um, internet. Um, we got a press release out, um, did flyers. You know, we made our sampler CD and we got our website going, you know, and we, we all kind of coincided everything to kind of hit it at the same time. And, um, you know, the, the event was a big success. You know, we, we had a very, we had a packed house and all of us were actually kind of amazed that there were actually that many people in Los Angeles that even listened to jazz. <laughs> most of the time we're playing, <laughs> most of the time we're playing for, you know, maybe four or five people, you know, like, like these little dive, um, rock clubs someplace or coffee shops. So that was a big um, revelation for us, you know, that there there is um, there's a lot of people that would come out to listen to jazz, you know, if they knew, you know, where to go. And, um, and not only just jazz, but, you know, very specific kind of jazz, you know, which is sort of a, more of a modern, creative side to it. I still have to say that all all of this amazes me. I mean, uh, I've never lived on the West Coast. I've, I've been an East Coast or a, a Southern guy all my life. And uh, when I think of places where there's just got to be a ton of jazz, I mean, I always think L.A. has to be in that list. And this really sounds like uh, you guys were just creating this organization because there was almost nothing other than this project you you embarked on, I mean, being surprised that people were going to come out in one of the largest cities on the face of the earth to listen to jazz, it just blows me away that that was the case. Yeah, it's a real, uh, it's it's astounding, I think, to everybody uh, who has to deal with it. Um, but you, you know, you can talk to almost any musician, and, and they'll tell you about this sort of frustration. Um, some of it might have to do with the fact that LA is so spread out. Um, a friend told me that you know, LA is kind of like New York. You know, except that, you know, somebody took like a gigantic fist and pounded down on the top of New York. And then pieces of New York would splatter all over the place. And that would be LA. <laughs> 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 you 
you know, and you can have people living, you know, miles, hours away from each other, you know, and still call yourself, you know, someone who lives in L.A. And and um, we don't have a, uh, like a Greenwich Village, you know, or, or Brooklyn, you know, some sort of um, district that has become known, you know, for having really cool music, or cool jazz in particular. And uh, the city really lacks that. And um, it's, it's kind of sad. <laughs> So didn't the uh, and I I like really could be screwing up my geography here, but it wasn't Central Avenue like back in way back in the day, kind of one of those places where there was yeah, a ton of jazz. Central Avenue, um, south of downtown, um, there were the you know from this, just from what I know about history uh, of this place, you know that was a big kind of a hot spot for jazz, and it actually extended all the way up into downtown. Central Avenue runs into downtown LA and uh, up into this area called Little Tokyo, um, which, um, let me go back with some history here, but in World War II, that, that there were a lot of Japanese-Americans that lived in Little Tokyo. Um, and during the war, they all got interned and shipped out to uh, internment camps, and um, you ended up having a lot of African-Americans that actually moved into Little Tokyo and started up jazz clubs that continued that Central Avenue phenomenon all the way into downtown. And... Um, the place ended up being known as Bronzeville. Um, in fact, uh, when Charlie Parker was stranded here for about six weeks um, at, after they had done a tour with Izzy, um, he, he lived in Little Tokyo. That, that's where he stayed, and he, he played in the clubs um, out here for, for about six weeks. But it sounds like all of that is, uh, has passed into the, the dim and distant uh, history now, and there's no real yeah. kind of infrastructure anymore for... What you're doing. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to um, get into trouble here because I'm sure there's a lot of uh, other um, musicians that would be saying, well, hey, what about this place and what about that place? You know, there there are a number of older clubs that are, are still kind of hanging on. You know, I mentioned the Lighthouse. Uh, they're still doing things. Um, there's a place called Charlie O's in the Valley. Um, and, and even though Charlie, the owner, uh, just passed away, they're, they're still going. Um, and they're you know, it, it's still very, very nominal as far as the, the amount of real jazz places. Um, um, yeah, and there are great players, but but they're definitely. I think it's disproportionate, you know, to the number of players. You know, there aren't that many many venues. Even the Jazz Bakery has has just closed. They they lost their lease at their existing room, and they have to uh, find a new place. Hopefully, they'll be back in the fall. Thank you. 
So coming out of that that first success at the at the club in Pasadena, uh, what did the collective decide to do next, and and kind of where has it gone to at this point? Well, one thing that um, kind of took us by surprise, you know, other than the, just having the great first event, was that um, people started to hear about this thing called the Los Angeles Jazz Collective, and um, um, like even after that first show, we were um, invited to. Uh, play at another festival kind of out of town a little bit out of town towards Palm Springs and Idlewild um, and uh, also invited to go up to Monterey um, to do a, a live uh, recording concert DVD uh, thing which I think is still being um, it hasn't been made yet but but we did we did go up there and do that um, and um, I think we started to realize that uh, you know we're the LAJC was was greater than the sum of our individual parts. You know, we started to become kind of more of a visible entity that um, cities like uh, uh, Culver City, which is a district of, of Los Angeles, you know, contacted the LAJC to put on some music for, they had a, an art festival that was, was being held, and that was just a few months ago. Um, it, it really seemed like there were a lot of... Um, Opportunities that that kind of just presented themselves, you know, that we probably otherwise, as individual artists, wouldn't have been able to get. So that that was pretty nice. And did more musicians come and seek out the collective and and want to get involved? Uh, yes, that 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 was the case. That that still is the case. Um, and um, you know, it's been it's been great uh, with the response. Um, at the same time, I think. Um, it, it's created another dilemma, which is, you know, how do we find things to do for the people that, that have joined since then? Um, you know, I think we've, we've more than tripled the um, amount of membership that we had when we first initially, we started out with 13 guys, um, and we're, we're over 40 now. Um, and so we've had to kind of institute sort of a, a pretty strict review process, you know, where we... Um, have to nominate people. Um, we have we have to look at all of their work, um, and then we actually end up voting on on membership. So um, it, it's kind of sad in some ways because it would be great if if we could have a lot of people, you know, be part of a collective. I think it would make organization pretty substantial. I think in terms of an actual organization, but at, at the same time, too, you know, it. Um, we want to also make sure that that um, we have enough uh, concentration of the resources that we have, you know, to be able to to um, give the guys that have been there from the beginning their due. So, how how is the collective run? Do you guys have regular meetings? Is there staff? Uh, any of that kind of stuff? Well, uh, no, no staff as of yet. Um, maybe at some point we might need that. But it, it's been really run by by the musicians. And um, um, uh, a friend told me that it seemed like uh, we're running the organization much as the way that we we run our music, meaning that um, we're all improvisers and we're sort of kind of improvising our way through this uh, <laughs> this this thing that we're doing. You know, uh, we don't have a five year plan or even like a, a five month plan. It seems like <laughs> you know we're sort of flying by the seat of our pants. Uh, but we have been very good at at reacting to uh, 
stimulus or situations as they present itself. So I guess maybe our skills are being put to use in a good way. <laughs> we have um, we do have regular meetings. You know, we meet maybe once or twice a month. Um, but we also have a um, an online discussion group, and most of the work I think gets done uh, through through the uh, the online group because it you know LA is very spread out, so it's it's really hard to get guys together. But um, most people are pretty active on the on the discussion board, so we've had some very heated, animated, and healthy discussions about what we should be doing and why we're doing it. Thanks to Gary Fukushima, especially for his patience, as his uh, interview lay dormant for a year somewhere in the depths of my computer. Uh, And please do check out the L.A. Jazz Collective. You'll find more information about them in the show notes at thejazzsession.com. This is The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by allaboutjazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links to purchase the music that you hear on the show, and a little bit of that purchase price comes back to the Jazz Session. And you'll find a donate button if you feel like the Jazz Session has added something to your life and you'd like to add something to the show's coffers, please feel free to do so. Uh, Whatever you add is what the show's coffers are. (laughs) The show has no other coffers. There is not a subterranean vault containing the fortunes of the Jazz Session. It has thus far been a uh, strictly money-losing proposition, as have most of my business attempts. So uh, I, I would be ecstatic if you would join the others who have already been donating and uh, just help keep the show going. Thanks very much. Also, since I'm plugging things, I'll remind you that my uh, collection of poetry on Foothills Publishing called Unexpected Sunlight is now available. You can find it at jasoncrane.org store. That's jasoncrane.org slash store. Thanks to the members of the Respect Sextet. They are often performing all over the East Coast and elsewhere, and you can find them at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the show's logo. I'm so happy you were here. Thank you. Please come back again. But before you do, go on out there now into the world and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.